good morning, church. It's good to see each and every one of you. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Grab your Bibles. There, there should be one right in front of you if you don't have one of your very own. If, uh, if you need a Bible, then this is our gift to you, Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 32. Uh, I want to make sure I get you out on time so you can get to your Super Bowl party, all right? Um, one real quick announcement uh, before we get into it. Um, if you came to the Brazil mission trip meeting and thought, <laughs> that was Carrie Williams, uh, and you think, oh no, I might not be able to go because we had about 100 people show up and say, I want to go to Brazil, then just know this, that uh, you, you can go, uh, but just what's going to happen on our end of it is what, was, what we thought was going to be one trip to Cado, Brazil, to plant churches, might turn into maybe three trips, um, multiple times in different locations, okay? So, but if you feel like God is calling you to go, then we are not going to be the thing that inhibits you from answering God's call in your life to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. All right, so just turn in your stuff, turn in your application, your checks, all that kind of stuff, and then we'll, we'll just work on it. And but it might be multiple trips, different places, etc. All right, that's uh, Church of Eleven Twenty Two kind of problems. Like we got more people that want to go on missions than we have spots. So welcome to my world. Isn't that neat? Amen. Oh man, we're excited today. That's good too. All right, Acts chapter nine. Here we go. Beginning in verse 32, we're in the final week of this series called Wrecked in the Best Way Possible. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Luda. Real quick, uh, I need you to know that if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, then the Bible calls you a saint. Can you believe that? That that, uh, saints aren't just uh, dead super Christians that people voted on to be saints, that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. And you go, yeah, but wait a minute. You said I was a wretched, black-hearted sinner. Yes, you were a wretched, black-hearted sinner. And you still have some remnant of that in there, okay? We're flushing it out the best we can. But when God sees you, he doesn't see your wretched, black-hearted sinfulness. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that's what uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 means. I quote it all the time. That says, for God made him who was without sin to be sin for us so that we could be made his righteousness. So when God sees you, he sees a saint. I thought somebody would amen. One of you buddies would be like, hey, I told you, baby, I'm a saint. All right. So I know your wife doesn't call you one, but the Bible does, so she can get on board. Here we go. Verse 33. There he, that's Peter. There Peter found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. This is pretty cool. Um, Aeneas wasn't even asking for it. He wasn't even looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for him. And Peter's the one standing here kind of doing the healing. But who does Peter say heals him? Jesus. Peter didn't take any credit for it whatsoever. All right. Peter says, Jesus heals you. And Peter could have bragged. Peter could have said, you know, I'm kind of like a big deal. I'm like the main apostle. In fact, my name, my nickname's Rocky. Dun, 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 dun. Jesus gave me that name. All right, I'm related to the Pope. It's a big deal that I'm even here with you, Aeneas. But he doesn't. He takes no credit. He's not trying to make much of himself at all. He just says, Jesus Christ heals you. And then he says, rise and make your bed. And the mama said, amen and amen. See, mamas, it's biblical, all right? It's right there in the Bible. Maybe you want to memorize it and quote it and share it with your children. Anyway, all right, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. Literally in the Greek, what the ESV translates as make your bed, literally it just just means um, to take care of your bed or take care of your mat. 
If you'll remember in the Gospels, uh, Jesus one time heals a paralytic guy, and he said, arise and walk and take up your mat. Now, in the first century, if you were paralyzed, they would, they would lay you down on a mat, and that'd be your mat, and, and, and you would lay on it every day, because what are you going to do? You can't get up and leave, so there you are. And so they would take that mat to different places around the city where you could beg for money uh, so that you could just sustain yourself, and you would lay on the mat. Now, for years, I would just kind of wonder why in the world would Jesus and then Peter, just like his rabbi Jesus did, after, after he healed somebody, why would he tell them, take up your mat and take it with you? Take care of your mat. Why would you want to fold up that thing? Because let's just be honest, that thing is gross. I mean, think about it. If you're laying there all day, every day, you're going to do on that mat everything that you do that day. And so we tracking, everybody understand the nastiness of the mat. I mean, it's got an odor to it. It's got to be a little moldy. I mean, this thing is just gross upon gross. And so when Jesus heals the man, when Jesus does it in the Gospels, and now when Jesus does it through Peter, both times he says, take up that mat with you. Here's here's a part of it. We talked about it last week, that that our past, um, neither, neither should we deny our past, nor should we be defined by our past. But we should trust the sufficiency of the cross to proclaim our destiny to what God is calling us to. And so listen, regardless of what you have been saved from, regardless of how, how wretched your mat was that Christ called you to get up off of that thing, then you do not hang your head in this place. No, you carry that testimony around um, with, that, with that glory to God kind of pride that look what he saved me from. It's why my heart, uh, on the one hand, kind of breaks, and then on the other hand, is so overjoyed when Rachel, I think her name was, the, the first person that got baptized this morning at 1122, and she said, I thought I was disqualified from coming to church because of the things I had done. Then what Jesus would say to her is, is take up your mat, that you don't hang your head because of your testimony. In fact, the grosser the mat, the more glory God gets. And that's why there's no condemnation now for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So you don't be ashamed of that, but neither do you allow that to define your future. And so, let me just warn you of something though, church. Let me just warn you of something. Um, if, if your heart begins to grow hardened towards the things of God, when, when paralyzed people start walking in the name of Jesus then Pharisees begin to spend more time, effort, and attention on the mat than they do the miracle. You see, disciples of Jesus see a crippled man coming up off the mat, and they see the miracle. Pharisees and religious people, when they see it, they see the mat. They start saying, "Uh, I don't know about those people. I don't know if those people are really saved. I don't know about that. Let me tell you what happened to me one time. Uh, This was a few years ago, and I had somebody that, that wanted to have a meeting with me because they were concerned about my preaching. But, and I can't really blame them. Can you blame them? I mean, listen to this. It's ridiculous. All right? And so, so I welcomed it. Come on. That'd be great. I'll learn a lot of stuff. So they come in and sit down. And what they said was that I was watering down the gospel. And I got offended. I was like, are you talking about me? I, I think that's the only thing I talk about every week. All right? It's the cross, the cross, the cross. Wretched, black heart, sinner. Christ died for you. Surrender your life and you'll be saved. I think it's the only thing I talk about. And so the reason I found out they said I was watering down the gospel is because I didn't preach behind a pulpit and I didn't have khakis and it was some of those kind of things. And and what really sent them over the edge is that I was quoting from rated R movies that weren't about the death of Jesus, right? So that put me outside of what they thought God's will was. But I got offended because they said I didn't preach the gospel and so I'm yelling at them and they're like, why why are you so offended? 
I mean, because this is not just what I do. This is who I am. It would be like you accusing me of cheating on my wife, all right? I would get mad and punch you in the mouth in the name of Jesus because I am not going to do that. And so I'm having this sort, of, this sort of argument with him. And then, and then I begin to say, all right, well, if I'm not preaching the gospel, then explain to me however many hundred people have been saved through 1122. And then they go, oh, but just because you raise your hand doesn't mean you're a Christian. We don't think that all those people are actually saved. Because what about, and they kind of start going down this road, to which it clicked, and I go, oh, oh, okay, okay, you're a Pharisee, which people that, nobody likes to be called that, right? And so I go, you are a Pharisee, uh, and, and here's how I know, because when people are coming to Christ, you see the mat, and you don't see the miracle. And, and God help you, right? And then it really went south from there, and they said, well, we're very, very concerned about those people, that are coming into our church. All of those people. If you quit telling all those funny things, and, and then maybe all these people from town would quit coming because we think those people are polluting our church. And that's when I went, all right, time out. You see, we got a major disconnect here because what you see, you see people as pollutants, and God saw them as recipients of his grace. That he looked at those same people and said, oh, no, I love the pollutants enough to send my son Jesus to die on the cross. Right? So... So, so far in my life, it, it was the only time I've said, so you don't, go, you don't come here anymore. You're the ones polluting. Get out. Just get out. You're not welcome here anymore. Now, the reason I do that is because I'm the shepherd. Okay? I'm the shepherd. And the shepherd has a rod and a staff. And sometimes you use the staff to reach out and grab the sheep, sheep and say, come here, you idiots. Come over here with me. All right? So... That's what the Lord does with it. But then you also get a rod. And you know what you do with a rod? On the end of the rod, there's this big old knuckle, and you flip that part around, and you go, when the wolf comes in, and you go, wham, in the head as hard as you can. All right? And so that's what I was trying to do in the name of Jesus. Now, now here's the thing. I mean, warn us all. Warn us all. Because what can happen real quick to church people, and I've got bad news for some of you. You are now church people. Can you believe it? I know. It's horrible, isn't it? But we are. It's what we are. And, and... Every time Jesus changed lives in the New Testament, religious people got mad. They'd get all upset. Did it on the wrong day. Didn't do it right. The wrong kind of people. If they knew what kind of woman was touching his feet. I mean, all that sort of stuff. And if we aren't careful, church, we will begin to drift into this thing where our hearts grow hard towards the things that God's heart breaks for, which is people. And, and we become religious. And so what we've got to do to keep everybody in check is you, you just lean over to the person next to you every once in a while and go, hey, you, do you see the miracle or the mat? And if we start focusing on that dirty mat, then, you, then we've got to redirect our eyes to the miracle of God. Now, let me say this to us all, too, though. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus healed you from that mat, he said, get up and walk and carry it with you. But don't you dare lay down in that mess anymore. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior and, let you, and yet you look around and you've laid back down in the mess he saved you from, how dumb is that? Don't do that. He saved you for more than that. That, that. The Bible says in Philippians that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I love you too much to let you wallow around in the mess that you were saved from. And that might sting a little when we pry you back up off that mat and say, no, 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 you don't walk in that mat anymore. And if you were to walk up on a guy that could walk but had decided to lay back down in the mess, you'd be like, dude, what is wrong with you? Get up and walk. And so for those of you that have been saved, Christ has called you to get up and walk. Now, will you stumble and fall and trip? Absolutely. And by his grace, you will land on grace and he will pick you up to walk again. But get off the mat, take it up, and follow him. So that's what, that's what Peter does here. He says, Aeneas Jesus Christ heals you 
rise and make your bed or take up your mat. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Luda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Once again, uh, Acts records that God uses the testimony of a changed life to lead people to him. Verse 36. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, which is such a pretty name, isn't it? Just a word, this is for free. If you're an expectant dad, and you're looking for girl names, right, and you want to go biblical, I might have suggest Dorcas, right? It's pretty, kind of got a ring to it. Uh, it means gazelle, that's pretty. And, if you, and I know what you're afraid of, because you're a guy, and you know how we are. But if you name her Dorcas, she won't date till she's 30, so praise God. It's beautiful. <clears throat> So Tabitha's Aramaic, Dorcas is Greek, Luke wants everybody to get her name. So, she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Luda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So here's this lady, Tabitha, or Dorcas, and she, she dies in the city, and, and the the town's kind of freaking out. They, they're like, no, she means too much to us. They hear about Peter in the next town over, so they rush to him and plead, can you please come and help us? Verse 39, so Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. Now here, this next line, we're gonna spend about 20 minutes on it. And all the widows, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. This is powerful. Think about this. Just this regular lady, Tabitha or Dorcas, had such an impact on her community while she was with them that on the day of her death, the entire community is shaken. And people show up, and particularly the widows. Now, what's important about the widows showing up is that they would have been the least of these in that community. They would have been a group of people that everybody else overlooked. They would have been a group of people that nobody else, um, they, they didn't have anybody else to take care of. So what did Tabitha do? She never did a miracle. She never preached, a, I, nowhere in scripture does it say that she preached a sermon or started a church or she was an evangelist or healed anybody or called anybody back to life. I mean, nothing like that. You know what she did? She was a seamstress. She saw a need and she just did whatever she could do in her community to meet that need. And she said, oh, I can make a garment. I can sew. And so she would sew a tunic, all right? Never done that before. I imagine you only do one at a time. So she'd sew one, see a need, and then she would meet that need. And then she did it over and over and over and over. And she built such a reputation. She had such an impact in her community that on the day of her death, the whole community gathers around and they're weeping and they have evidence of her good works. Why? Because she was full of good works and charity. Now, um, I don't know if you've uh, read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure you have. I got a hold of it pretty late. But I remember reading that book a few years ago, maybe five years ago. And the second habit from Stephen Covey is to begin with the end in mind. And so he kind of runs through a little exercise. And that's all I could think of as I was studying this text. And the exercise that Stephen Covey says to go through is imagine you're at your own funeral. Okay? Imagine you're going to your own funeral, that you get all dressed up, you show up to the church, and there's all the flowers, and you're in the box, but you get to overhear what's said at your funeral, because I've got a newsflash for you, we're all headed that way, right? I mean, you get it, that, that um, 
the death rate in the United States is hovering right around 100%. Okay, so that's just how it's going. Now, he says, imagine, imagine that you get to be at your own funeral and imagine who would speak at your funeral. And what do you think they, they would say? And even more importantly, what would you want them to say at your funeral? Well, here's what they're going to say. Here's what the people are going to say about you at your own funeral. They are going to read the script that you are writing right now. And the things that you want them to say is your new definition of success. And if you look at your current reality, does it match up to what your real definition of success is? I mean, do you really want somebody to stand up at your funeral and say, you know, here's my friend Ted, and I just got to tell you, that dude was fit. He had abs. <laughs> Woo, did he have abs. Right? Or, um, hey, my friend Nancy, I'm going to tell you what, her accessories were amazing. <laughs> the way her earrings matched her bracelet, which matched her socks that you couldn't even see, but deep in her soul, she knew it all went together. <laughs> my friend Ralph, he made a putt one time on 17. Oh, But then when we look at our lives, how many of us want our kids standing there one day and go, let me tell you about my daddy. He was so busy. Man, you've never met a man this busy. Wow, he was busy for everything. Everything. His calendar was just packed all the time. So what what are they going to say about you? What do you want people to say about you? Because what they're going to say is the script that you're writing right now. Would anybody from our community show up to yours? Would anybody from our community show up with a tunic and a garment or show up with something saying, look what this person did for me? Because I can tell you, um, Thursday afternoons are a little bit crazy for me right now. JP is in rookie league baseball. It's like one step up from T-ball. And I'm coaching that thing, all right? I'm one of the coaches. Me and a couple other guys here in the church, we're coaching our team. And I'm sure we'll dominate, but so Thursdays we have practice. (laughs) From like 4.30 to 6 o'clock. Well, I've kind of got a big deal coming at 7.22 every Thursday night, which I would love to invite all of you to, so, or at least half of you in the room, so we can have seats here. But anyway, that's a different subject. So, so at 4 o'clock, I have to peel out of here, run home, get JP. We can never find the cleats. I don't know. The cleat fairy fa- hides them every week, and so we got to find those and put them on and run to practice. And a part of the reason God has me uh, coach in Little League Baseball is because he wants to develop my patience, apparently, because, oh, my goodness, all right? I mean, a couple years ago when I was coaching T-ball, I had my third baseman, and I'm going, all right, baseball ready, baseball ready, here we go, boys. And I look over, and my third baseman is face down, arms by his side, laying on the infield. And he's not worshiping the Lord. He's got the bill of his hat, and he's using it to scrape up a little mound of dirt. Really? What is wrong with that kid? So the Lord has me coaching these little guys and coaching my son, and you know why? Because on the day when somebody stands up to talk about me, do you know what? I could care less if they get up there and say, that dude built a mega church. That's not even on my top 20. But I want somebody to stand up and go, he was a good dad. And that's a part of what I want the script that I write about me to be. So what about you? What's the script that you're writing right now that somebody's going to stand up and read when we're remembering you and your days here on earth?
You know, uh, Gretchen and I got married in 2000, which is awesome because I can always remember how many years we've been married because it's just the year, right? So that's pretty, that's cool. I would highly suggest it if you have the opportunity. So, uh, so we got married and Gretchen's granddad uh, helped officiate our wedding. <clears throat> and he was a pastor. And he was a pastor for about 40 years. And it, and in, in many regards, we had this connection, you know, because I was a pastor, he's a pastor, and so we'd hang out at family functions, and, and I'd get advice from him. And one of the things I loved about him so much is that, uh, and it's one of the reasons I, I want to do this forever, because I want to be an old pastor. Because when you're an old preacher, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, you think I say stuff now, man. You meet an old, surly preacher, and he just says whatever he wants. One time... Uh, it was Easter Sunday, and we went to Gretchen's family's for uh, for Easter dinner. So we all go to church together, and then we come back to her, to her house, and and we're sitting there, and the big old table, all the family cousins, aunts, uncles. There, there's everybody, and the patriarch, granddad, sitting at the head of the table. And one of Gretchen's cousins come in, and, and she looks like she she had all these piercings all over her head, and then she had all kind of different color hair. And she comes walking in, and granddad goes, "Well, the Easter eggs here," and I was just like, <laughs> "I love you." Ah. So we got married, and then just a few months later, after marrying his granddaughter, he goes in the hospital, and he never makes it out. And, uh, and he knew. Going in, he knew. He got his house ready, told some people, I'm not coming out, and, and he knew. And so I had the opportunity and the privilege of, of doing his funeral, speaking at his funeral. And, and it was sad, and it was emotional, but you want to talk about an easy funeral? You know why? Because all I mean, I could just stand up and just read the script that he wrote. He was a good dad. He was a loving husband. He was a phenomenal pastor. Uh, he was a church planner, and he pastored the church that Gretchen grew up in. And then, when he'd done that for about 40 years, he didn't retire because retirement is not really a biblical principle at all. I don't know if you realize this, that God didn't put you here on earth to save enough money to play golf in your golden years, okay? He put you here to just to do what he's called you to do for his glory forever and ever. Your employer might change. You not, might not work for that guy anymore. But, but So what, what granddad did was when he quit working for the church, he went to be um, house parents. He and his wife went to be house parents for this Virginia boys' home. And they would just live in this home with 15 troubled teenagers at a time. And for kids that didn't have parents or had parents that weren't capable of taking care of him, for about, for about 15 years, he just invested into the lives of these boys. And I'll never forget it. We're standing around the graveside after, after everything was over, and we're kind of hugging the family and stuff. And there's all these little kids, you know, these, these guys that are about this high, probably about six or seven years old. And I'm leaning over to Gretchen going, hey, are these your cousins? I've been to all the events. I don't remember all these little guys. Who are these little guys? She goes, no, 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 no. But you see that one's dad? He grew up in, in, in the granddad's uh, boy's home. And so Gretchen's grandfather poured into the lives of these boys when they were broken. And now they had grown up and become, become men and gotten married and had family, families of their own. And they had moved to all corners of the United States. But when they would heard that the one that really raised them had gone to be with the Lord, they came from all over the place. And I'll never forget it. I, I'm standing behind the little tent thing, and there's this little red-headed kid, kind of curly boy with long red hair. And his dad leans over to him and says, The reason that you know about Jesus is because that man taught me about Jesus. 
Now, you see, Gretchen's granddad never built a big church. I mean, nothing like the size of this thing. But you know what he did? He made a tremendous impact in the community that he lived. And little did anyone know um, the generational impact that that thing would have over and over and over. Because he, kind of like Tabitha, didn't really do any miracles or anything like that. But, man, he did what he could do in his community. And it changed generations upon generations upon generations. And it changed them for all eternity. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. See, he didn't even call her Dorcas, right? And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Do you see what happens here? And many believed in the Lord. Do you know what hangs in the balance for your future? You have no idea. You have no idea how God might use some simple act of service to enact his supernatural plan of salvation. And it could be for an entire city. You see, Tabitha had no idea when she's just sewing together a tunic for some widow that needs some help. She had no idea that God was actually positioning her to reach an entire city with the gospel. And she didn't do anything miraculous. All she did is she did what she knew how to do in the time that she had been given. And then she just watched God do the rest. So what about you? What about you? What are you doing to impact this city, our city, Jacksonville, our community right here? If you were to go out today, if today was your last day and people were to gather around, would there be anybody in our city that would huddle around you and say, man, this person right here made an eternal impact in my life. They didn't do miracles. They didn't change the world, but they changed my world. So I want to ask you this question. Will you spend your time making a name for yourself or making a difference? Will you spend your time, because your time is actually your most valuable commodity. You realize that, right? Your time is more important than your money, and it's more important than your friends, and it's more important than your career. Your time, because you can, you can spend all your money, and you can get more money. Some of you have done it two or three times, right? Amen? Not really, it was rough, wasn't it? But anyway, you spend all your money, and then you got more money. Some of you, you can, you can lose all your friends, and you can get more friends. But when you're out of time, guess what? It's over. It's your most valuable commodity. What will you do with it? Will you spend your time here on earth making much of you, making a name for yourself? Or will you spend it making a difference? Now, what can happen sometimes is you pursue making a difference, and the name comes along just as kind of, a, uh, just kind of an extra, kind of a bonus what will you do? Will you do what you were taught in school and what our society teaches you to do? To pursue happiness? Well, God save you if that's the pursuit you're on. If you're on the pursuit to make much of you, to acquire things just for you, God help you. I'll explain it this way. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the dog tracks before. Not that you would admit it here in church, but... Uh, about five years ago, me and Pastor Ryan were going to see what this was all about. So we loaded up and we headed down to the dog tracks and... Um, one of the things that I was amazed at, we went to the one uh, kind of south of here, and so we, we pull up to it, and the building's huge and nice, and I said, like, wow, and then you walk in, and I'm thinking, I don't know if this is the community with a discretionary income to be spending here, but that's another sermon, okay? So everybody's in there, and they're making their bets, and, um, and, and I don't know if you've ever been and, and, and seen it, 
But you know the Greyhounds race? You know that Greyhound? It's like the ugliest dog that there is, right? Oh, don't awe me. You know that's an ugly dog. Come on. It, it, it looks like a supermodel, right? Just all oh, with high heels on. Can't hardly walk. Now, when it runs, it's a machine. It was built to run. But when that thing's just standing there, it looks like a bicycle with no rider. You're like, if the wind blows, it's going to fall over. Right? And, and look, let me just save the emails. If you are a, are a Greyhound owner, I'm glad you love your dog. But it's ugly. Just admit it. It's fine. It's the first step in recovery, all right? Just admit it. So, so anyway, we go out there, and, and uh, there's actually, we, we were so out of the loop that there weren't even live greyhounds where we were, so we were watching it via satellite from Jersey or somewhere, I don't know where. And, you know, they prance them all out there, and they come, you know, in their little prances, and people bet on them. And you know that these dogs, every week, this is all they do. I mean, this is their whole life. And so you know they know all the other dogs, right? They're like, what's up, Ralph? How you doing, Ted? You know, they're kind of, as they're getting put in their little kennels, and and, and, and then uh, the announcer comes over the PA, and he goes, here's Rusty. And Rusty is the fake rabbit that they're chasing their entire life. And Rusty comes popping out of nowhere, and the dogs begin to lose their mind. They're going to like, Ted, I'm going to outrun you today, all right? There he is again. There is the rabbit. Oh, my gosh, he's so fast. But I've been working out. I've been doing CrossFit, switched to a Purina, stretched out the hammies, Ralph. I'm, I'm outrunning all of y'all, and there he is. This is my day. I'm catching the rabbit. And then when they go go and the doors open, the dogs, boom, like they're coming out of a gun. And now they look like machines. You ever seen them run? They don't run like you're a little Labradoodle. They like reach and pull, reach and pull. I mean... They are going, 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 going. And when they come through those turns, man, they're elbowing each other. And then when they get right around to the edge, right when they think they're going to get rusty, and he just disappears into nowhere, they're all confused. They're like, where did he go? I know he was right here somewhere. Ha-ha, I beat you. What did you win? Nothing, but I was here first, okay? It's a very manly thing, right? I know I'm lost, but we're making great time. And so... They run, and they're looking around, and they're just like, oh, where was it? Gosh, he's fast. I, I bet if he comes out tomorrow, tomorrow is my day. And you look at that, and you see these dogs chasing this rabbit that's not even real, and they do it day after day after day after day, and you sit back and you go, what a dumb dog. <laughs> and then you know what's going to happen tomorrow? You think you're going to hear your alarm, but you know what you're going to hear? Here's Rusty. And then you'll pop out of your bed and go, whoo, here we go, here we go. Oh, it's another day. And you'll start chasing after whatever that thing is that you think as soon as I get that promotion or get that kind of car, live in that kind of house, or, or as soon as I get a date or have a kid or whatever you think that thing is, then life will be complete. And essentially what you're doing is like, we're like the greyhounds. I mean, just chasing and chasing and chasing, trying to make much of us. And we think they're dumb. And so, how, what a shame it would be to spend your entire life chasing after something that's not even real, that's so temporary. Now, look, I'm not saying don't work hard, and I'm not saying don't climb, don't climb the ladder of success. Just make sure when you get to the top, it's leaning against the right wall. Because so many of you have done that. You've chased and chased and chased, and it's not even real. Look, I hope you're the most successful group of people that's ever been assembled. I hope and pray. I just hope you've got enough wisdom and courage to know that God may be giving you that success so you can leverage it for significance in his kingdom and not to make much of yourself. So that you can use it to make a difference and not make much of yourself. Because the experts there at the track began to tell Pastor Ryan and I, because they're experts in everything, they began to tell us that sometimes Rusty breaks down. I mean, it's just a mechanical rabbit, right? And sometimes it stops and the greyhounds catch the rabbit. 
and they freak out. And they tear the muzzle off and they bite into it. And, you, and they think in that moment, glory to God, this is the greatest day of my life. And then they bite in and go, hey, it was just a pillow. You mean I've been spending my whole life chasing a pillow? Some of you have been there. You got the promotion and you bit into it and nothing was filled. It's a lonely place to be, isn't it? Do not spend your life chasing after the things of this world only to find out that they're temporary and empty. But how about in the name of Jesus, spend your life making a difference and making an impact that's eternal. Not for your sake, but for his glory. And then God may may decide to add a name and add all kind of blessings on top of that. So one of the things that we want to do here at this church is give you opportunities so you're not just running around in this exercise of futility. You know, I think it's great that today is Super Bowl Sunday, and this is what we're talking about. I'm not smart enough to necessarily plan that out. It's just kind of how it rolls. But, man, you want to talk about an exercise in futility? We will all gather somewhere today. How many of you have Super Bowl party plans? Come on, raise them high. I'm not going to mess with you. I know you're always nervous. like, dang it. Now, I'm going, all right, eat chicken wings and do your thing, okay? And, and I don't even care who's playing at all. But by the halftime, I will somehow have drifted toward the team and be rooting for them like crazy, you know? I don't, I don't know if I want Ray Lewis to cry for Jesus or just cry to cry. I'm not sure which way I want to go yet. But I'll root one way or the other by the, by the time that thing's over. But think about how crazy our country will be over the Super Bowl today. And you know what? You know why I know it's just an exercise in futility? Why it's just temporary and it's just a game that's no different than the flag football game I coached Saturday? It's because in just a few years, we can't even remember who played in it this year. Do you remember who won last year? Some of you can. Do you remember who won two years ago? Some of you can. Do you remember who won five years ago? You need to step off of the TV sometime, young man. Okay? You might want to get a job. Okay, anyway, sorry. That's what that's about, right? If you know all that, if you go back too far, you have plenty of time to serve right here in our community and make a difference. So that's what I want to give you the chance to do. Um, here's, here's, now, you know my heart. You know my heart for international missions. And we will go and we will continue to go. And God has called us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we need to experience other cultures and communities. And and we need to be a going people. But I think it was Jonathan Edwards that said, the light that shines the farthest shines brightest at home. So every time I talk about uh, going to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, I always get somebody that says, well, what are you doing right here at home? To which I want to go, well, what are you doing right here? And their answer is always nothing. So that one goes well. But we are doing stuff. All right? And we are called to make a difference right here in Jacksonville. Look, I love this place. God has called us to make disciples right here in Jacksonville, to make a difference right here in our very own community. And what begins to happen, if you've ever been on an international trip, the more you do there, the the more your eyes are open to see things that we need to do here. That's just what happens. So step one, here's step one to make a difference in our community, like Tabitha made a difference in hers. Step one is to begin to pray for, for our city and its leaders. You pray. You pray for, for Mayor Brown. I mean, you pray like crazy. Let me tell you something. I don't, whether you voted for him or not, I don't care. You pray for him because God has placed him in that position of authority. I will tell you this about him. Uh, that dude loves Jesus. 
I mean, I spoke at a prayer breakfast with him. It was an interfaith prayer breakfast, all right? So he had people, all, all religions and all faith backgrounds assembled in this place. I mean, Muslim and Hindu and Jew and, and all kind of stuff. And then um, he got up to speak, and here's what he said. He said, uh, the only hope for Jacksonville is the blood of Jesus Christ. So you pray for that man. You pray like crazy for, for him and our leaders. Next is you get involved in a local ministry. You get involved in a local ministry. When you came in, sitting on your seat was this little flyer here. And if you're not that perceptive, you're probably sitting on it, so just pull that on out, okay? This is for you to take home. One of the things that we want to do is not just get in here and preach about make a difference and then, and then don't put any action to it. But here are just some of the opportunities or some of the partners that we have at the Church of 1122. Um, one is Heartfelt Ministries, and that's serving the elderly in our community. You could take meals and take, uh, you know, give them rides, whatever, whatever's needed. And one of the things, even, even when you look under it and it says, you know, they need this, that, or the other, what every one of these organizations needs more than anything else is time from people. That's what they need. More than just a check, they need time from people. So Heartfelt Ministries is one. Uh, Beam Beaches Emergency Assistance Ministry is another one. Uh, First Coast Women's Services. Look, a lady that's very near and dear to the hearts of, of us here at the Church of 1122 runs First Coast Women's Services. This is a, really a ministry, an organization that helps uh, people that weren't planning a pregnancy walk through that and, and give them whatever they need to choose life. Let me tell you what Christians are notorious for, being pro-life at the ballot box and then doing nothing about it with the rest of their time. So this would be a great place to plug into and to give some time to. One of them that's not on here is a ministry called Kairos, and we've got some men from our church with, the, with, with Kairos that go into the prisons and take the gospel into the prisons, and they got a weekend coming up, and they want you to go to jail and then come out like after the weekend's over. And so when our service is over... They need about 10 more men to pull off the next weekend, and the number of inmates that get to come to this Bible study weekend that Kairos puts on is determined by the number of, number of volunteers that go. So if we get more volunteers, then there's more, more men in prison that can uh, hear the gospel. If you want information on that, some of the guys from, guys from Kairos will be back here in the Connect Center. But the one I want to hang out on um, for just a minute is the McKenzie's Academic Resource Center. McKenzie's Academic Resource Center. Um, for those of, those of you who might know, I, I wear this little bracelet. I, don't, I hardly ever take it off. So it says McKenzie on one side, it says 1122 on the other. McKenzie, for those of you who have been around for a while, you, you, know her, you know her story, you know her family. But if you're new with this, McKenzie was a high school student at Bowles, surrendered her life to the Lordship of Christ in, in, in a service, and then four weeks later went to be with the Lord. And in her Bible, in the margins of her Bible, the Bibles that we give away, she was writing the script that would be read as we remembered her life. And one of the things she said is, I want to make my faith public. And so her parents took some of those prayer requests and in her name started the McKenzie Wilson Foundation. And here's one of the many things that the foundation does. They've started these things called a MARC, McKenzie Academic Resource Center, in two communities where essentially there are kids um, that... Who, who had, had no control over the hand that they were dealt, but they don't have mamas and daddies that can help them do homework. They don't have people in their lives that say, have you done your homework? Or they don't have people in their lives that when they make a good grade on a test, they can bring it home and say, look what I did, and just have somebody in authority going, way to go. They don't have somebody in their lives going, God formed you, he knit you together, and I need you to know that you have what it takes 
to make A's and to go to college and just, just be some of the things God has, God has destined them to be. And the craziest thing about it is it's right here in our own backyard. The, the website's on the screen, mckenziegives.org. You can just go to that and you can sign up to be a homework helper. A homework helper. Now, some of you can't hardly, you know, you, about, you pull your hair out trying to help your kids do their homework. Here's the difference. These are kids, imagine your kid doing this. These are kids that are showing up to the McKenzie Academic Resource Center saying, I need help with my homework. I just need somebody that can help me walk through this. And so here's just uh, some of the details. It's all on that website. But at Countryside, which is a new community that we, we just, we're partnering with the um, McKenzie Wilson Foundation to set up a mark there on Tuesdays from 4 to 6. And at Portside on Wednesdays from 4 to 6. Portside is just across the street right here. We need people. We need men and women to just pour into their lives. That's what we need. To just help with homework. They need help in elementary. They need help in middle school. They, we need men more than anything else. So if your schedule allows, or maybe you need to relook at your schedule and, and change some priorities around. Maybe you, maybe you play golf one less time a month and you just aim that, that effort at this. Because I know what sometimes happens. You begin to think, well, man, I mean, the, the problem is so huge. What can I do about it? I can't do anything to change that. And you might not change the world, but you might change that kid's world. Imagine. Back to the Stephen Covey project. Imagine on the day that we're having your funeral and we gather in this place and four or five people are going to stand up here and talk about you. And imagine if one of these kids from the mark, whether it's countryside or portside or wherever, imagine if they take the stage and stand up and say, I want to tell you about my friend who... They may not have changed the world, but they changed my world. And do you know what's hanging in the balance? You have no idea. You have no idea the kind of impact that God might want to use one of these uh, underprivileged, undereducated kids in portside and countryside, but what he wants to do is use you to impact that kid, and that kid's going to grow up and, and be somebody that could impact all of us for generations. You see, you just do, we just do what we can do, and then we count on God to do what only God can do. So what are you going to spend your time, your most valuable commodity? Are you going to spend it on making much of you, or are you going to spend it on making an impact? You know, in the Bible, um, the, the disciples were arguing over who's the greatest, which is a great argument to have right there by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? And so they're arguing about who gets to be like Vice President of Heaven. And in Matthew 18, 1, it says, At this time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So if you sign up as a homework helper, don't screw it up, all right? You really, it's going to be bad. So as I think about that text, I think there are some of those children that live right here in Jacksonville, that live right here in Jacksonville, and that you and I could spend our most valuable commodity 
not in making much of ourselves and not in making a name for ourselves, but in trying to make an impact in this world. And you might not change the world, but you change that kid's world. And then one day, one day, a bunch of people will gather around to celebrate your life, whatever time God gave you here on this earth. And what they're going to do is they're going to read the script that you are writing from this day until that day. And my hope and prayer is that our church, the Church of 1122, would be full of a bunch of folks like Tabitha and that the entire city, that this entire city would miss you on the day that you go to be with the Lord. And the entire city would gather around and not say, man, she did miracles or he did miracles, but that person had an impact on my life. And when they read that script, it would be the kind of script that didn't make much of you, but it'd be the kind of script that Jesus would look at and say, now that's greatness. That what they did for the least of these brothers of mine, they did unto me. Would you please stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much that you would even give us eyes to see and ears to hear opportunities right here in Jacksonville. God, where we could make an eternal impact. God, we don't even deserve to to be recipients of your grace. And now, God, you want to use us as conduits of your grace and conduits of your mercy. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Let, Let us repent when we take those opportunities for granted. Lord, I pray that as a congregation, as a body, as a people, you would cause us to just relook at our calendars, our, our most valuable commodity. And God, that we would spend time with you. And God, we would spend time at work. And we would work really, really hard. And we would spend time with our families. But God, we would also take some of that time that you have given us as a gift. And we would leverage it to make an impact. And God, that impact would be heard around the world. But may that impact happen also right here in our very own city right here in Jacksonville. And God, forgive us. Forgive us when the, when the calls of this world, when Rusty looks so tantalizing in front of us that we spend so much time, effort, and energy chasing after the things that are temporary. God, may you refocus our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may you, by your Holy Spirit, give us the wisdom and the courage to run the race that you have marked out for us. God, I pray, I beg you, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever think of or imagine in this church and for your name. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, we respond to the gospel. That's how this works. God initiates and we respond. You can respond by taking your tithes and offerings to the boxes, to the giving kiosk. And you need to know that some, all of the ministries that we mentioned Um, a part of the way that our church supports them, it's when you give your tithes and offerings. That's how we respond as a church. We always respond by gathering our voices together and singing to Him. But I feel like today may be a day too where you need to come to the altar and hear clearly from the Lord of how you're going to make an impact in this city. Let's respond.